listening to Inherited Danger, book two of the Dawning of Power trilogy, a podcast novel written and read by Brian Rathbone. For more information, maps, and additional downloads, visit brianrathbone.com. Thank you for listening. Chapter 20 Evil Exists Only in the Hearts of Men Ian Geist, Sleepless One As he climbed back to the chamber atop the mountain, Nat's legs trembled from exertion as well as fear. Only the hope that he would learn something important kept him moving. Within the chamber, his visions became absolute blotting out his current reality and showing what he thought were vivid glimpses of a likely future. Though they left him feeling nauseated and abused, he kept coming back, drawn by morbid fascination and the quest for knowledge. Beside him, Nina climbed, and her presence bolstered his confidence. Never before had someone shown such faith in him, As he slowly learned her language, all barriers between them seemed to fall. To trust someone so completely was a thing Nat had never believed himself capable of. But Nina's unwavering dedication and loyalty made it impossible for him to feel otherwise. Concern was clearly visible in her eyes as they reached the final stage of their climb. But there was something else there, something Nat could not easily define. It was acceptance, he finally decided, and he sighed. Though endeared by her devotion, Nat also felt the weight of responsibility. The Gunata, as Nat now knew the villagers called themselves, believed in him. They believed he had been sent to do something special, something important. Nina had given her life over to him, leaving behind whatever it was she had done in the past, and Nat prayed he would not fail them. When the chamber entrance came into view, Nat quailed. Only the needs of those who were depending on him drove him forward, and he practically fell into the chamber. As he crawled forward, drawing ragged breaths, the power of premonition obliterated all other thought. Nina held him in her arms, and when the vision finally released him, he looked into her eyes, tears streaming down his face. No words could express the horrors he'd seen, and as he pulled Nina closer, he squeezed his eyes shut, praying that just this once, his visions were untrue. I'm so sorry, he whispered. His body shook in grief as his mind reconciled what he'd seen. As he wept, Nina sang softly, rocking him to sleep. The days merged into one long, miserable blur. Katrin could not recall how long it had been since they sold Curly but the blisters on her feet spoke of more days than her memory could reconcile. They trudged along, surrounded by pilgrims who marched in morose silence. It wasn't a joyful journey for any of them. It was more like a death march. Like sheep to the slaughter, they put one foot in front of the other, and nothing more. 
The people seemed to know they were going to their deaths, yet they continued. Katrin despaired and wondered why they would leave their homes behind to seek out an idol. Even if the archmaster had mandated their presence, he was certainly in no position to enforce his edict. But they seemed not to care. From what Katrin sensed, most simply wished for the misery to end. The roads were churned to mud, at least until the snows came. Then they froze, their texture sealed by frost. Ruts and frozen footprints threatened to turn their ankles, and illness began to spread. Katrin could not breathe through her nose, and a cough rattled in her chest. Benjen did what he could to secure dry places to camp and wood for fires, but the landscape was usually picked clean long before they arrived. Large groups huddled together at night for the protection in their numbers, but Katrin and Benjen kept to themselves. They had no desire for the company, and those around them seemed to have no desire for the fellowship of strangers. Occasionally they passed an inn, and the rosy glow that came from within beckoned to them. But Benjen insisted they save their coin for food, which was becoming increasingly expensive. Vendors took advantage of the massive migration and inflated their prices. Perhaps the shortage of food could explain away the cost increase, but Katrin resented it. She felt as if they preyed on the poor and hungry, and she detested them for it. Anger and spite were all that kept her going at times, and she used her fury to stay warm. You've not lost hope, have you? Benjen asked at the end of another silent day. Katrin remained mute for some time before answering. Hope, she said. Hope for what? A quick death? An end to the misery? I've no idea what to hope for. I cannot hope to save these people, and they cannot save themselves. Such thoughts will get you nowhere. There's always a chance that things will work out, and you're not the only one attempting to stop this madness. Others labor toward the same end, and we can only pray they've not given up, he said. But she continued to spiral into her own personal nightmare. Even if the statue is destroyed, what then? There are no crops in the fields. The food supply is already growing scarce, and disease is sure to follow. I begin to wonder if saving these poor wretches from a quick death is the right thing to do. If they'll only suffer slow deaths, then what good will I have done? You act as if all is already lost. But the sun still shines, and we still live and breathe. I, for one, plan to do whatever I can. I'll not give up until my last breath leaves my lips. Good luck to you, then, she said. I'm tempted to simply lay down and die. I've no more to give, and this dreadful march will never end. Benjen stopped and yanked her aside by her arm. His face was crimson, and she had never seen him so angry. He frightened her, and his grip was painful. How dare you give up? 
Did your father teach you nothing? Anything worth having is difficult, and this could not be more worthwhile. How could you expect it to be easy? You shame me. At any other time, those words would have stung, but she simply shrugged. Who knows if my father is even alive? I doubt it. I'll never see him again, and if he wants to be disappointed, then let him. And that goes for you as well. Perhaps you would rather walk alone. It's tempting, but I'll not allow you to give up so easily. If I have to drag you by your ears, you'll fight and you'll win, if only to spite me, he said, and a crooked smile actually tried to form on his lips. Katrin couldn't fight him. He was right, and she knew it. That didn't make it any easier, but it did keep her moving. You're right, I know, but I'm tired, so very tired. I know, little miss, but I'm here to help you. I'll always be right here by your side. You can count on that, he said. She leaned against him for support. You amaze me. How can you stay positive amidst this horror? It's not easy, and I'm not saying it is but it's all in how you look at it. We could have been hung, or drowned, or burned a dozen times now. How did we survive those things? How are we still here to try? Hope, determination, and in some cases, sheer stubbornness. Well, that's one thing we have in abundance. If only we could eat it, she said, and actually chuckled. There, you see? I told you we could do it. Laughter keeps the world alive, you know. And with that, they stepped a little lighter, marched a little faster, and the pain seemed to ease in Katrin's feet, as if it had been imposed by her despair rather than the endless footsteps. When an inn appeared on the horizon, Benjen led her toward it. But we should save our coin she protested. One night's lodging won't break us, and I think we've earned a bit of respite. I'd also like to look for signs of the Vestrana. Their hopes were dashed when they arrived, though. Full up, the innkeeper said when they inquired about rooms, and the sheer number of folks jammed into the common room gave her statement credence. The rotund woman turned to tend other customers. Please, miss, a stall in the stables, a bit of floor in the kitchens. We'll take whatever you can offer. The woman looked disgusted, but Benjen pleaded with his eyes. Two coppers and you can sleep in the loft with the rest of the fools, she said, and Benjen quickly pulled four coppers from his pouch. Might we get a bit of food to go with our lodging? You're a pushy one, she said but she accepted the coin. Potato broth is all we have left, but this'll get you two bowls. A thick layer of grease was congealed on top of the broth, and it tasted little better than laundry water, but it was warm and it felt good in Katrin's belly. They drained their bowls in short order, and the innkeeper had the stable boys show them to the loft. At the top of the ladder, 
they found mounds of flea-ridden straw, and there was barely a spot to be found that didn't harbor a sleeping body. People cursed them as they wandered through the disorganized mass of humanity, but they eventually found a corner in which to lie down. Katrin pulled the blankets from her pack and prepared the best bed she could for them, and they laid themselves down to rest. You get some sleep, Benjen said. I don't trust these folk not to rob us. I'll keep watch for now. I'll wake you later. She would have argued, but his words were muffled by her wide yawn, and she let sleep claim her. When she woke, sunlight streamed through the cracks in the walls, and Benjen slept beside her, his belt knife still in his hand. When he woke, she saw that his purse and other valuables were beneath him. He was an intimidating figure, knife in hand, and she supposed that had been enough to keep any would-be thieves at bay. The sun already high in the sky, they left the inn long after most of the others who had shared the loft with them. A small town lay ahead, and in many ways it looked the same as every other town they had already passed, and it made Katrin feel as if they had been walking in circles. We're nearing the western border of Astor, Benjen said, as they entered the dirty little hamlet. Soon we'll be in Mundelboro, the lands ruled by your mother's family. We'll have to be extra careful when we get there. Keep your hood up at all times. I've been searching for signs of the Vistrana, but the signals I've seen are conflicting. They are close to correct, but include subtle warnings. I'm afraid to seek their aid since it seems they fear they've been infiltrated. Walking past the smithy and shops, Benjen stopped at a storefront that displayed cured meats. Salted hams, smoked fish, and several strange reddish sausages hung under the watchful eye of the storekeeper. What'll you be needin'? the beady-eyed man asked, and it was clear he did not trust them. His look urged them to buy something or move on. How much for the pepper sausage? Benjen asked. A silver. Well, that's robbery. Surely you cannot expect to get such a price. I already have and will again. Take it or leave it, the man said, and he cleared the sword at his waist from its scabbard, daring them to steal it. They did not intend to stoop so low, but that price would consume most of the coin they had, and they still had a long journey ahead of them. Come on, little miss, let us find a more pleasant thief to steal our coin, Benjen said. The storekeeper spit at them as they left. The argument drew unwanted attention, and several people among the crowd stared at them as they turned away, as if they hoped for a fight to break out, if only to break the monotony. At that moment, a chance wind gusted through the streets, and the hood was pulled from Katrin's face. As she rushed to pull it back up, she saw a woman who was as wide as she was tall and she was walking toward them. Lady Lissa, what in all the gods' lands are you doing here? You were to be at Ravenhold weeks ago. And what have you done with your hair? She asked as she approached, and Katrin looked about to see who she addressed. But then the woman stopped abruptly, 
and her eyes went wide. She leaped across the short distance that separated them and grabbed Katrin by the arm. If you make a move, she said in a low voice, I'll shout for the guards and label you thieves. Come with me quietly and no one gets hurt. Understand? Only then did Katrin feel the pressure of a cold blade against her back. Benjen stood, frozen, seemingly afraid the woman would run Katrin through. Without a word, they let the strange woman lead them to a nearby inn. The common room was crowded, but no one paid them any mind except to curse them for pushing through the throng. The knife at her back urged her up the stairs, and they stopped before a sturdy wooden door at the end of the hall. The door was the only one to bear a lock, and the woman produced a key from the folds of her shawl. Within a moment, they were inside, the door locked securely behind them. Don't you lie to me. I'd know you even if you were burned from head to toe. You're manxed as sure as Vestra shines, she said. Benjen let out a heavy sigh. Who are you? he asked, and the woman wheeled on him with her knife. The questions are mine to ask. Never you mind who I am. The question is who are you, and what are you doing here? That's a long story, and not one easily explained, Benjen began, but the woman cut him short, literally. She sliced the air before him as if to demonstrate her skill with the knife. Shut your mouth. I'm not asking you. I ask her. What is your business here? We're bound for Adderhold, Katrin said, unsure of what else to say. She decided a small bit of truth was all she was willing to give. She didn't even know who this woman was, or what evil deed she suspected them of committing. But her patience was already worn thin. Lies, the woman said, and she punctuated her statement by tapping her slender blade on Katrin's chest. It was a move meant to threaten and cow her, but Katrin had had enough. She and Benjen had done nothing to deserve such treatment. With a quickness she didn't realize she possessed, she clasped the woman's wrist and twisted hard, driving her knee into the woman's groin. By the time the woman hit the floor, Katrin had the blade wedged between the woman's multiple chins. Easy now. Easy. Let's not get too excited. Let her up, little miss. We mean her no harm, and she means us none. This is all just a misunderstanding. Benjen said, but his words were ignored. Katrin snarled at the woman, who now became the target of all her anger, all her resentment. Suddenly this woman was the source of all their troubles, and with one twist of her wrist she would be gone. It would be so easy. The woman's flesh was soft and pale, and would part easily before the razor-sharp blade. Benjen grabbed Katrin's arm and pulled the knife away from the woman's throat, but he got no gratitude. The woman pulled another blade from her belt, and they all stood in suspense, assessing one another. Please, both of you, we can solve this peacefully. 
put the blades away. Shedding each other's blood will help no one, Benjen said. His words penetrated the haze of fury that still gripped Katrin. With obvious reluctance, she reversed the blade and handed it back to the woman, who seemed surprised. Now, let's begin again. I'm Benjen Hawk, he said, and the woman's eyes grew wide again. And this is Katrin Volker, daughter of Elsa Mangst. His words might as well have been a physical blow for the effect they had on the woman. She fell back against the far wall, and her breathing became rapid. Katrin was shocked by his honesty. By the gods, it's true, isn't it? She asked, with a hysterical glance at Katrin. He speaks the truth, Katrin said, and it was as much an accusation against Benjen as it was an affirmation. The woman sat down heavily and stared at them as if they were beyond explanation. You don't mean to kill me, the woman said, making it more a statement than a question, but Katrin felt the need to respond nonetheless. We never intended you any harm, but you certainly scared us, she said, and she was surprised to see the woman relax a bit and actually sheathe her blades. I am Millicent, maid to the Lady Mangst, the woman said, and now it was Benjen's turn to appear shocked. Millie, I didn't even recognize you. You need not tell me that the years have been unkind. I am aware, but they've touched you as well, Millie said. You know each other? Katrin asked. It's been many years. Benjen began before Millie cut him short. Since you and that scoundrel, Wendell, stole Elsa away from us. After all these years, you are still short-sighted, I see, Benjen said, but Millie ignored him. Let us speak no more. This matter should be taken up with the lady, and not her lowly servant. I'll arrange for passage to Ravenhold. Be warned, if you try to escape... I'll have you hunted down and killed. Do I make myself clear? You do, but your threats are unnecessary and insulting, Katrin said with an arch look, daring the woman to question her integrity again. Millie gave her a sidelong glance, but said no more. Instead, she walked out the door, leaving them alone. This is not going to go well, Benjen said almost to himself. I assume my family will not be happy to see me. Or me, he said, shaking his head. Well, let them be unhappy. I've no intention of staying long. You don't think they'll try to stop me, do you? I don't know, little miss. I'd hope to avoid them completely. They're not fond of me to begin with, and I have no idea how they will react to you. But I doubt they'll welcome you. Your mother's family are not the most forgiving people I've ever met. Katrin asked him no more questions, knowing he would not have the answers. She supposed she would just have to take it up with the Lady Mangst, whoever that was. It bothered her a great deal that she didn't know, yet she decided not to ask. She would find out soon enough. 
The room began to feel very small as she paced back and forth, and the air felt thick and heavy, as if she were breathing water. She did not know how long Millie had been gone, but it seemed like days, and when she finally returned, Katrin's patience was lost to her. We must leave at once, Millie said. I was not to return for three more days, but this'll not wait. I've arranged a carriage for you. It awaits in front of the inn. Come. Will you be joining us? Katrin asked, uncertain of what exactly was taking place. I'll be traveling in a separate carriage, but they will travel together. So, yes, in a sense. Maurice will act as your bodyguard and assure your safety. In other words, Katrin thought he would be their jailer, there only to make sure they did not try to escape. The fact bothered her greatly, but she put no voice to her misgivings, for she doubted it would do any good. Without another word, she and Benjen followed Millie from the inn. As promised, two carriages waited, and they were like no carriages Katrin had ever seen before. Completely enclosed with small doors in the side and smoky glass windows, their black finish shone in the sun, and even the wheels were spotless. Each one was drawn by a team of four horses, which appeared to be more for show than out of need. The carriages were large, but not so large as to require more than one horse. The horses were obviously bred for looks, their coats gleamed and their manes flowed. Their forelocks were so long that it was a wonder the horses could see anything. These were nothing like the horses her father raised, which were primarily workhorses, bred for power. And these were far showier than the horses of the Argos tribes. It reminded Katrin of the townies, who used their horses primarily as a display of wealth and the thought left a foul taste in her mouth. Maurif proved to be an imposing man. He was missing one eye, but his movements spoke of death. His muscles were well-defined, and the cords of his tendons stood out in relief. He gave them a baleful stare as they climbed aboard the carriage, and Katrin returned it, which seemed to surprise him. She would show him no fear and for once she felt none. Let him try to hurt them, and she would show him just how dangerous she was. The interior of the carriage was opulently appointed with deeply cushioned seats and smoky glass windows framed by frilly curtains. The journey to Ravenhold took four days, and they spent their nights in the best rooms the inns along the way had to offer. The common rooms were always full when they arrived, but somehow Millie always managed to secure not one, but two rooms each night. Maurice kept watch outside their door, and the tension between him and Katrin grew as time passed. She knew she should leave the man be, but his very presence annoyed her. At every opportunity she let him know she didn't appreciate his watchfulness whether it was something as small as stepping on his toes when she passed, or something as overt as spilling her dinner down the front of him. It was clear he struggled to restrain himself, but Katrin didn't care. She almost wished he would provoke her, 
so she could take out her fury on him. When she was honest with herself, it was not him she loathed. It was the thought that her family was automatically distrustful of her. It went against everything her father had taught her, and she resented the fact that they used his name without any trace of respect. She'd had her fill of people looking down their noses at her, and she thought she might bite the nose off the next person who did it. Strange sensations crossed her mind, though, as they moved closer to Ravenhold. She was farther from the land of her birth than she had ever dreamed she would be, and yet, in some small way, she felt as if she were coming home. That concludes this episode of Inherited Danger. Thank you for listening. For the latest news and new releases, be sure to check out patioracket.com.